0: So I will kick us off and say hello
1: and welcome to the Deleuze and Guattari Quarantine Collective's ongoing reading of Anti-Oedipus Take Two. Uh, We are making our way slowly through uh, Chapter Four. Once again, we're in 4.4 and it's going to be a very slow go as we continue to sort of move forward and then take two steps back as we are doing today and then move forward and then two steps back as we try to explain and get through a lot of what are the, uh, I would say, uh, points of the book and the whole, the whole thing all of this has been leading to, but the difficulty underneath it all is, of course, that uh, as everything is leading to this, we have a, a huge number of things to sort of interweave, understand how they're interweaving, and then talk through. And so we're going to continue doing that today. I'm going to go ahead and share my screen. Uh, we are going to continue at the bottom of uh, 324, uh, the paragraph, It Is True, and I'll just go ahead and uh, begin reading. And uh, we will reread and re-discuss because we got stuck on this last week and it is worth continuing from here. Uh, uh, any questions before I start? All right. <clears throat> it is true that one might instead wonder how these conditions of dispersion, of real distinction, of the absence of a link permit any machinic regime to exist, How the partial objects thus defined are able to form machines and arrangements of machines. The answer lies in the passive nature of the synthesis, or, what amounts to the same thing, in the indirect nature of the interactions under consideration. If it is true that every partial object emits a It is also the case that this flow is associated with another partial object, and defines the other's potential field of presence, which is itself multiple, a multiplicity of anuses for the flows of shit. The synthesis of connection of the partial objects is indirect, since one of the partial objects, in each point of its presence within within the field, always breaks the flow that another object emits or produces relatively itself ready to emit a flow that other partial objects will break. The flows are two-headed, so to speak, and it is by means of these flows that every productive connection is made, such as we have tried to account for with the notion of flow-skiz, or break-flow, so that the true activities of the unconscious, causing to flow and breaking flows, consists of the passive synthesis itself insofar as it ensures the relative coexistence and displacement of the two different functions. Oh, fuck, every time. So, um, the reason we decided to jump back a little bit is this is kind of where they begin really getting deeper into uh, how the unconscious operates and the flows. Because again, we are now in the positive task of schizo- of schizoanalysis no longer the destructive we're now talking about the positive and it is the the growth the the, the building what is the positive task at this point they're starting to have the discussion about how partial objects as they just went through Melanie Klein in the previous paragraph and all of that how partial objects ultimately do have flows that move between each other now my reading of this and the way I've sort of understood this is that all of the partial objects that make up essentially everything, not just our unconscious, but let's just say also within our unconscious. All these partial objects, there are connections between them. And this passive synthesis, this this passive nature of the syntheses, all three syntheses that we've been going through throughout the entire book, this element has us understand that a partial object may emit a flow, but that flow doesn't just go, it's going to something. That flow is associated with another partial object. It defines the other's field of presence. It modifies that flow. It adds a layer to it, which is itself multiple. As they talk about a multiplicity of anuses for flows of shit, They're, you're not talking about one anus and things like that. Uh, this element, the synthesis of connection of the partial objects is never a direct connection. It's always this indirect thing because one of these partial objects in each point of its presence within a field always breaks the flow. It modifies it, changes it uh, through the, they've used the phrase uh, flow skis or break flows. Flows as such, the machine of what a flow goes between, and this is what they mean by machine is multiple partial objects. they, They modify the flows. And as such, we're talking about inside of the unconscious, near infinite numbers of these flows sort of passively being modified over and over and over as the flow moves from one thing to another, partial object to another, continuing to move, continuing to flow, continuing to break and continuing to be adjusted all before we get to any level of subjectivity or consciousness. That's my reading of this paragraph. And I I went back through and I've been, because we had issues with this last week, I'm open to any thoughts on this, but that's kind of my reading um, and explanation. I hope that makes sense generally. I'd love it if anyone wanted to modify or add to that as well.
2: Is it possible to think of the uh, flow as the virtual and the and the um, partial objects as as the uh, as part of the more like the act, actual actualities, and so they kind of go, go together, and they merge in, into one another, right? <clears throat> because even though the virtual, you know, um, is not necessarily thought of as the beginning, but if we think of it as the beginning, but it is also, you know, always eminent in the, in the actual, right?
1: So this, this is where we start getting into like what a flow is and how we talk about it. Um, flows, and it's one of the reasons I don't necessarily like the use of the word here. Very often in the original French, uh, they actually use the term flux, uh, flux, which is uh, to me, a very different term than the word flow of flow. When we think of flows, we tend to think of things like a, a river flowing, uh, and it is a river. And so when we think of flows, we're thinking of something quite almost literal, uh, an object, a thing that's moving and constantly going. I don't think we're talking about that here. We're talking about a sort of um, flux, the, the change itself as it sort of moves through things, the flux of experience, the flux of all of this. So these things that sort of happen, this constant sort of secondary element is how I read that. Rather than saying that these flows are anything, they're not yet. They are uh, deeply abstracted sort of pure libidinal flows that ultimately desire is being reshaped and then coded through these activities. The flow itself is just purely libidinal and in a constant state of change, but that's how I read that. Um, I don't know if that answers your question, JK, but it's because it's a tough one. Yeah.
2: yeah. Well, in terms of uh, you know, um, classical uh, science, right? Um there is there are these waves, right? <clears throat> There's a waves and there are the there is matter, right? So, you know, you could think of uh, the matter is also part of the part of the energy of the the field. So <clears throat> the waves of energy, right? But um, because wave is It turns into matter, and matter, you know, goes back into, in a wave, and it's pretty. um, How you understand it, right? How you, how you perceive it.
0: Hmm.
3: Um. What's a little bit different there is, it wouldn't be. Perception for the person, right? It would actually be getting at. What um, I think you were talking about light, what light is doing as a flow in relation to different objects, right? With different partial objects, yeah, right. Because I, I think what you're asking is how do we walk in the virtual and the actual here? What's tough about antiedipus is they don't lean on those terms too much. I think the only time they actually use them is when they're going through the fifth paralogism and it's a critique of Oedipus and they walk those terms into to explain it. So I've, I've always found it challenging too, is it's not really, it's why like, I'm careful about words like existence, but at the I, same time they, they don't walk all the language in either.
1: Go ahead, Brutz. Well, so in, in Leibniz, uh, in a lecture he gave on Leibniz to lose the phrasing he used around it. Um, Just to quote, uh, what does a painter create? He creates lines and colors. That suggests that lines and colors are not givens, but are the product of a creation. What is given, quite possibly, one could always call a flow. It's flows that are given, and creation consists in dividing, organizing, connecting flows in such a way that a creation is drawn or made around certain singularities extracted from flows. The the play within flows, I think, is um, it's not necessarily related to energy in and of itself. Although in this case, I think there's a libidinal uh, energy of sorts. But we are talking, I think, about the a much something much more ineffable than something that is like electrostatic waves or something that's towards that. At least that's how it feels to me. Flows is a tough one. Flows is one that we've we've had conversations on. For a very long time, and tried to sort of get to exactly what he was talking about.
3: I I think the other part is to, to go back to the you know the definitions you proffered in Latu. This is where you've got the flows, and then you've got the partial objects being basically co co instantiated, I guess, right? Because each partial object um, defined. You know, makes possible the other's field of presence, right? So to your your point about the lines and that, I th- I think that point about abstraction where it's there, and then to bring it into Antioedipus, you've just got to walk in that part of that abstraction process is that those flow, at least for Antioedipus, that those flows exist in relation to these partial objects, right, making them into desiring machines, and that gives you. Um, to your point, that will give you the product later. For our purposes in this paragraph, we're just thinking first synthesis, right? But that connection of no, partial objects and flows, that gives you the first synthesis.
1: And again, we're talking about sort of a, it's not an allegory. I'm going to try to avoid saying that, but we're trying to talk about a mirror of real given production. Um, so when we talk about, like if I were to just say, like, not even in Deleuze, the, the economic flows, flows of capital are going in and out of a country or in, in and out of a thing It's we're not talking about even the energy of capital we're talking about the flows of capital which is an odd secondary thing this is that same thing but it's the flows of desire so it's not so much flow unto itself as an energetic medium but instead the flows of the libidinal energy, the flows of these elements that are breaking and shifting the same way that it happens in large scale production because that's Again, the underlying idea here is that the unconscious operates uh, similarly to the social, and production is production, and the flows of such are operated in much the same way. There's a correlative sort of essence to it.
3: But if you want to make the comparison with the Socius and the BWR, right, Part of what that gets into here is the states of presence and absence, yeah? Because if if the connective synthesis is what creates the fields of, of presence, right, for the partial objects there, you can start to see how the first paralogism fits in because when something like the phallus is thought to be absent, right, that's kind of the wonkiness of it is that there's still a relationship but it would seem to be like transcendent now, where somehow it's beyond these problems of connection, and it starts to define the first synthesis in terms of that absence, right?
0: Hmm.
2: When you're talking about partial objects at the level of the um, body without organs. So I mean, is is that is that the same as the um, you know the um, flow of the socius it's it's prior to that right it's prior to the socius
1: um, yes the partial objects so partial objects sort of let's just say that things exist partial objects exist like pure bodies uh right. the these elements and the nature of them connect the passive nature of them is that they connect and that's it this is this begins this gets recorded in that time, is during that passive synthesis, is when we have the, the body, of, without organs, sort of generated as a secondary, as a as a ethereal offset of that. So it is within the, like you could say, between the second and third passive synthesis, sort of, although there's no between, but it's like in that time frame. So pa- partial objects are far before. Sorry, you cut out there.
2: Is it part of the unconscious?
1: Uh, yeah. Well, partial objects, I'm, it, I'm hesitant to say partial objects are part of the unconscious. Partial objects are like the base layer of things. The desiring machines are the base layer of the unconscious for us. As far as I read it, the machinic sort of nature is that the partial objects exist, they connect or disconnect. And as such, as the mass of them begin, that's essentially the desiring machines producing subjectivity, at least at the base level in mass until there's an emergent subject that comes from that. Is that fair, Jack, Doug, anyone who's been here for a bit? Am I saying something that makes sense?
4: Yeah, that makes sense to me in terms of a transcendental unconscious. So we're thinking about these passive syntheses, yeah, being like the, the prior conditions to subjectivity. So like, and, and, right, it's passive because to make the connection, all you have to do is put one partial object into the flow of another. It doesn't have to do anything.
1: Yeah, and the the connections are satisfied or unsatisfied, or uh, said you know they're recorded in different ways, and you just need enough of them, basically. Um.
3: Yeah, I'm I'm thinking of in terms of like so. There's there's that famous diagram that I always go back to, right? Because the socius hits its has its absolute limit at the body of the organs. So like I, I think of molar and molecular production happening simultaneously, although they're different regimes that affect one another. And so like, when you say partial object, I'm thinking of just an object. It, it, it's just we're not specifying a flow. When we say desiring machine, we're starting to specify flows and put them more directly into production. Um, and then it's just kind of the scale, right, is like, are we talking about them in relation to the socius or the BWL, right? Are we talking molar or molecular?
2: Yeah, I think the uh, partial objects are, um, you know, eminent uh, uh, to the uh, body without organs, right? I think it. Uh, there was a passage saying that it's um, one is the molecular and one is um, one is the molar. Is that true?
1: Um. But. So uh, all of that stuff is I think molecular that we're talking about, a body without organs, uh, desiring machines, these things are within the molecular. The the molar regime is the uh, essentially post-subject or the social is the molecular. And it's not necessarily that we're, again, it's not that it's a different thing. These are all connected. It's the same thing as saying that I'm giant and therefore I live in a world where there are no atoms. It's technically true, I look around, I don't see any atoms. It doesn't mean there aren't any. Uh, so it's like a question of scale ultimately that we're talking about here when we talk about the two regimes. But within the the, the pre-personal, the pre-subject, that's when the BWO is created, crafted, and exists pre-subject. And the desiring machines even before that in the, the passive sort of synthesis of it all. Oh, please, uh...
4: Uh,
1: I think it's... Sorry, you can go. Oh,
2: thanks. On page 327
1: at the top, a little, a little louder.
2: Page 327, at the, 327. Uh, at the top. It says that yep. the harsh objects and the body without organs are the two material elements of the schizophrenic design machines. The one as the immobile motor, uh, the other as the working parts. the yes. One as a giant molecule. The others as a micro molecules. the two uh, together in a male- relationship of continuity from one end to the other of the molecular chain of desire. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. Okay. Yeah, they're they're all molecular. I, had, yeah, right, did, I right. did I did I misstate that before. I apologize if I did.
2: You no, know, I, I, my point was that they you know uh, the partial objects and the body with our organs are at the same at the same you know uh, level. Um, one is part of the
1: other. The other one is, you know. Yes, the the BWO is emergent of the micromolecular. Uh, So they are, and and again, molecular is pre-subject. So that's the kind of idea is is the pre-subject, which they call the one into the other molecular chain of desire. It's the moment desire is sort of enacted, which is in the first connective, in the connective synthesis, two partial objects exist, flow, pop, desire. And then desire gets goes through the three syntheses and out the other side, and at some point you hit subjectivity. But right before that, you have this sort of chain of desire that's created that ultimately emergently creates a subject, and they are the two ends of that sort of thing, as they say. Um, but I'm always hesitant whenever they use that phrasing, because uh, they're very, very clear early on when they talk about the whole and its parts or the two regimes that we shouldn't be thinking of two things, but instead scales. So it's a, um, ultimately it's all one. That's a, kind of their point, but they're, they're kind of you know giving us a, a break in it. So it's a tough phrasing. Um, we'll get to 327 though, JK, we'll get there. Um, God, we shouldn't have gone back. Um, Rimka says, as I see it, it's not the machines displaced. The machinic phylum is about the workings of the machines, not the machines itself, right? Whew. I'm going to, does anyone want yeah. to take a crack at that? Go for it, Jack.
3: Um. Putting aside displacement, I think the thing we can work with there is like for anti purposes, right? We're kind of just talking about the Socios versus the BWO and how, when we mean scale, we're talking about um, the condition of that production, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
3: So, you know, the Socios versus the BWO conditioning production.
1: Oh, I just saw you're relating it to schizo cartography we're so not even there rimka we're so not even there yet like i, I want to be there and that's i think a discussion worth having but we're not we're i don't think we're there <laughs> we're we're just not we're not there yet i i i'm sorry i'm used to uh, because i you don't talk i was like hey I'll just but we'll, we'll stick with anti for right now in the text um because that's a whole other my brain was not ready as soon as i saw the diagram I went oh god for some reason, the first time I saw it, all I thought was, "Oh, they're just doing it's the Yomslav content and expression graph." As a uh, because I'm so used to seeing it in chat these days. Um, we'll get back to that. Uh, we'll we'll stop the the core idea here, as I as we've gone over it, is it generally. Making sense. Is anyone having trouble with any sentence or phrasing that we can expand upon? Uh, Ms. Marx, he says, it makes me think of Spinoza's spin. Pluralism is monism. He, yes. Uh, I I have nothing to add other than yes. I think it's safe to say that a lot of Deleuze is basically calling back to Spinoza. Um, That's a great way to phrase it, too. You can always look at Deleuze through Spinoza's eyes, I think. Or Spinoza through Deleuze's eyes, and I won't use his horrifying way he describes how he reads authors. Um, it's the worst explanation of how he reads other people. So we'll get to the next paragraph and uh, continue a bit. Um, because this is the one we had trouble with. This is uh, Mozart's firing, fiery, shitty anus mouth. Now, let us assume that the respective flows associated with two partial objects at least partially overlap. Their production remains distinct in relation to the objects X and Y that emit them, but not in the fields of presence in relation to the objects A and B that inhabit and interrupt them, such that the partial A and the partial B become in this regard indiscernible, thus the mouth and the anus, the mouth anus of the anorexic. They are not indiscernible solely in the mixed region, since one can always assume that, having exchanged their function within this region, they cannot be further distinguished by exclusion there where the two flows no longer overlap. One then finds oneself before a new passive synthesis, where A and B are in a paradoxical relationship of included disjunction. Finally, there remains the possibility, not of an overlapping of flows, but of a permutation of the objects that emit them one discovers fringes of interference on the edge of each field of presence fringes that testify to the remainder of a flow in the other and form residual conjunctive syntheses guiding the passage or the heartfelt becoming from the one to the other a permutation involving 2 3 n organs the formable abstract polygons that make game of the figurative atopal triangle and never cease to undo it. Through binarity, overlapping, or permutation, all these indirect passive syntheses are one and the same engineering of desire. But who will be able to describe the desiring machines of each subject? What analysis will be exacting enough for this? Mozart's desiring machine? To quote Mozart, raise your ass to your mouth, ah, my ass burns like fire, but what can be the meaning of that? Perhaps a turd wants to come out. Yes, yes, turd. I know you. I see you. I feel you. What is this? Is such a thing possible? Oh, Christ. Um, let's take, there's three parts to this, and I'm going to be very particular how we go over it, and I'm going to say we're going to stick straight to the text and discussion around it. There is the first half, which is to talk about, specifically in my mind, <clears throat> pardon me, the relationship of the included disjunction. No, Jack, I reread this Mozart. I have a totally different take on it than I did last week. I reread all of that from the original letter. I have a different take than I did last week um, because it doesn't come through in this at all, almost at all. The first half ends with included disjunction. I want to talk about this, that there are respective flows associated with two partial objects and they at least partially overlap. Their production remains distinct in relation to the objects X and Y that emit them. With these partial objects, but not the field of presence in relation to objects A and B that inhabit and interrupt them. This is one of the more confusing, nightmarish uh, parts of this, and I really think it's worth going over what he's referring to and how here. Because to me, he's talking about uh, when we are schizoanalyzing or talking about any one of these given flows, well, the first bit we were just talking about is the passive synthesis of these two lovely, simple, passion, partial objects that connect and flow comes, or maybe another one shows up and breaks it. But wait, they're not clean like that. That's, I think, the point here is it's not, we don't have purely clean flows. We have flows that are like fucked up and overlapping, and some of them, they're sort of from these objects, but Jesus Christ, we have this really strange thing that happens that they pass through uh, a field of presence that's in relation to uh, those objects, but only the partial objects, and so the partial objects become indiscernible and are only seen as the objects. This is a weird one, and I want to ask a question to a few of you who were in our logic of sense reading, because I can't help but put it back on some of the very particular things Deleuze was saying uh, in that. Uh, the way he was talking about Lucretius and that section, let me get back to it. The, he was talking about yesterday, as he was reading sort of an Epicurean take, and he was doing a blend through it. Uh, see, I bored someone so bad they had to leave. Um, the, the way that we perceive an object is we have it burned through us and burned through everything but we mistake the simulacra for the object. It's a very particular phrasing about how sometimes these things overlap. We have the pure object, we perceive it, and as it goes through that process of being perceived, the simulacra laid on top, we often mistake for the original object itself and therefore ascribe those things to it. This feels like that to me. This feels like a a processual sort of critique of how we mistake the thing at the end or the element at the end, um, ultimately that makes the partial objects indiscernible because we have objects A and B, full objects A and B, not partial objects that get taken for them.
2: I think that in terms of uh, libidinal flow, right? Um, there is just uh, what uh, Freud calls a uh, polymorphous perversity,
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know. So that the, in that flow of experience, the the infant has no um, discrimination between, the, you know, what is um, you know what is coming out of his anus and what is he's putting it in his mouth, right? It's it's just everything. is just uh, an experience of of pleasure, right? So, so that that's how I, uh, that's how I would interpret this, or that's how I see it as these partial flows, you know, these partial objects are coming coming around and 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 uh, there's no there's no um, discrimination between one object and another they just kind of go into uh, you know and I think that sort of explains why Mozart you know was kind of uh, you know uh, talking about this kind of experience of, of you know uh, polymorphous perversity
1: you know. <laughs> it is it is so and we'll get to the Mozart quote but it, I, I that's how i interpret it now that it is very particularly he's he's actually going through the process of identifying with the shit the piece of shit the actual piece of shit that is in his asshole and talking to it as if it's human and i know you i feel you he's able to sort of personify and this sort of thing what is the meaning of that this this last bit they're asking here is who's going to be, who can actually describe the desiring machines of each subject and what analysis isn't exacting enough? Mozart's desiring machine is that of his own shit. How are you possibly going to be able to understand it? And that's the last line that Mozart says, I know you, I see you, I feel you, he says to the turd. And he says, what is this? Is such a thing possible? Somehow he's able to identify with shit. And that I think is... Part of what they're talking about here that Mozart's not literally identifying with shit here. This weird, as you said, J.K., this polymorphous perversity. But instead, there is a thing that has happened where ultimately he has, you know, these objects X and Y that emit flows, but there's partial objects ultimately underneath that become indiscernible because objects A and B ultimately are in the way and are part of that field of presence and related to the relation to those, and they bend it. They they shift how that is, and they uh, ultimately become in that sort of paradoxical relationship of included disjunction, as he's talking about here at the beginning of the paragraph.
2: Right. So, well, Mozart is really uh, being able to express himself without this kind of repression, right, of uh, of yes. uh, the localized sexual sexuality, and he's able to uh, experience, uh, you know, uh, shit as part of his um, it's sexuality—it's not localized like, uh, like like we learn to do, um, you know, uh, and try to repress it.
1: Love your thoughts, Jack, or anyone else, because that's a lot I said there, and uh, J.K. too.
4: Yeah, I would say that I think there is a sense in which we want to actually consider this a literal identification. I guess to the extent that you would use the word "A is B" to describe their identification, because. Uh, Yeah, what we're talking about here with the like Spinozist, uh, Monist um, account of being that they're sort of implanting into their account of production is that uh, there is no level of primary distinctions. All distinctions are secondary and tertiary. They are the modes and the attributes of the modes of being. So if you say that something is... So here there things are only becoming indiscernible. It's like there's well I think there is a degree to which they aren't becoming fully indiscernible, but there is a possibility for that, I would say.
1: Well, it's it's indiscernibility in a place where like Mozart's shit here, that it doesn't feel like there should be there's no rational reason why he should be talking to his turd like this. But instead, to go back to the idea of the included disjunction or the paradoxical relationship, there's there's this nature if we can allow things to connect and if they're able to do that or if they are connecting like that, this really odd thing of overlapping flows allows connections where they're almost nonsensical, which is positive, I think, but I, I it does feel like that's the direction they're going, that we're talking about this really odd nature of the inclusive disjunction.
4: Yeah, to really... Lose track of whether the experience one is having is coming from oneself or from the shit. Is I think kind of what they're getting at.
3: The way I'm thinking about it, so the first synthesis happens, right, and the flows connect with machines with partial objects, thereby rendering them desired machines, right, and that's how you get the the field of presence for each. Desire machine, each partial object in that relationship. So in that sense, right, those flows keep being emitted and breaking. I see them trying to argue here that as that happens, right, as that happens, it's so like with the mouth and the anus, right, or the wasp and the orchid. An exclusive disjunction would keep the two basically separated, right? So there would be uh, the mouth or the anus. And any functions that they can do, such as shit or such as eat, would be separate. At the level of the inclusive disjunction, because those flows um, co-mingle, right, you don't have the, um, the ass and the mouth, you have the ass mouth just like you don't have the wasp or the orchid, you have the wasp
1: orchid. I'm open to, please, anyone else. I'd love to hear more thoughts on this because it's it's kind of the whole point here before we get into the second half, or we can dive into the second half and then continue the discussion because we're never getting out of this goddamn paragraph.
3: And just to back that up with some quotes, right? Uh, They write, and they are not indiscernible solely in the midst region, which I take that to be, like, this is part of how you get territory. Uh, Continuing, since one can always assume that, having exchanged their function within this region, they cannot be further distinguished by exclusion. There, where the two flows no longer overlap, one then finds themselves before a new passive synthesis where A and B are in a paradoxical relation of included disjunction. So yeah, I'm I'm thinking like. So for instance, with the Mozart quote, right? Like part of the thing that strikes me there is like. You take functions like speaking, for instance, and in a sense, like the ass is kind of speaking there. But the mouth is supposed to speak, right? And that's where you get the problem of the excluded disjunction. But as these flows overlap in that. Um, you get Mozart being produced kind of like you said, right? It's not a rational thing where like genius is what conditions all this, but instead you get, um, Mozart's ass and mouth, um, the LinkedIn production, right. And the way that there's a turd, um, as part of
1: that production. Any other, before I go to the second half of the paragraph, I should probably just fucking do it. Um, after the included disjunction, finally there remains the possibility not of an overlapping of flows, but of a permutation of the objects that emit them. Now, this is the second half of that. The 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 included disjunction being that of the the sort of realization of difference. If we want to go back to difference and repetition, uh, like as a thing, it's the the affirmation of difference, sort of itself. Um, here we have the sort of next step which is not about overlapping flows, but interference on the edge of each field of presence. Fringes that testify to the remainder of a flow in the other and form residual conjunctive syntheses guiding the passage or the heartfelt becoming from one, from the one to the other. This a permutation involving two, three blank organs doesn't matter. It's a, basically a lot of uh, organs within deformable abstract polygons that make game of the figurative edible triangle but never cease to undo it. That's a big point and through binarity overlapping or permutation all these indirect passive, synth- indirect passive syntheses are one and the same engineering of desire. This last bit here um, I would love if anyone has a way to sort of talk through it because it's I'm having trouble finding words of uh, not simplifying but even being able to explicate it at all. Uh, because we're not not talking anymore about the included or inclusive disjunction but now talking about this last element uh, that it's not about necessarily even overlapping flows but instead ones that seem to sort of land where they do and form residual conjunctive syntheses of becoming i'm not fully able to personally nail that so
0: Anyone? I, I, think,
3: I think this is where your interest and experience comes in, right? Because as I've been thinking about it and kind of listening to the conversation, I guess the turd is basically a celibate machine, right? Which means the... So right on one hand, there's the, the leftover flows that compose the surplus that the BWO is after, um, but also goes to the other desired machines, that residual. And that residual relies on the celibate machine for, um, I suppose, radiation. Because if I use the word distribution, I'm kind of mincing terms. But with that right, this point about the two functionalities becoming intertwined through the inclusive disjunction seems to be showing us that as that happens at the disjunct, when we move into the the conjunct, That's where we start to see that becoming, um, because we are moving more into subjectivity and intensity. Where the wasp and the orchid, for instance, their subjectivities here, or the ass and the the mouth for Mozart, those become, um, those basically move in and out of each other, right? They're kind of sharing these intensities and being affected by them simultaneously. That's my start, at least.
4: <laughs> Can you repeat that last part? You think?
3: Yeah. So, like, with the ass and the mouth, right? The subjectivities of the two is linked to a becoming, or a series of becomings, if you like, and that's related to the flows at the disjunct. So, you know, what the what the ass and the mouth are capable of as they start overlapping inclusively that produces this, um, the intensities that would be distributed to, would be radiated to them by the celibate machine. So the kind of to boil that down, the becomings I think they're talking about would be a becomings linked to those co-presences where the ass and the mouth began basically being affected and consummated by those intensities, such as the function of eating, the function of shitting, here, the function of burning um, is the one they really focus on.
2: So if the, um, this kind of, uh, you know, disjunctive and then the conjunctive synthesis and raising this um, to the level of the, you know, um, to creating creation of the subject, right? You mentioned the celibate machine. and celibate machine is like the subject. So I, I see Mozart as, a, as an artist, right? Uh, is trying to undermine that kind of subjectivity, right? Uh, the distinction between the ass and the mouth, and you know, um, it's just kind of um, you know rebelliousness, or it's a kind of a creative. It's a part of the creative process that he he's um, he's um, you know um, he's involved. He's known for right, you know. Just remember how uh, how he behaved in that movie. Uh, about Mozart, um, it's kind of uh, he was quite a uh, you know a rebellious character, but that was part of his creativity is to Just undermine, undermine fixed, uh, uh, fixed, uh, fix static um, notions like like a uh, you know bourgeois subject, and um, and being able to to um, be creative for that very reason.
4: Yeah, no, I think that is sort of exactly what they're talking about, that um, the way that I'm... So first of all, I'm reading the intensive becomings that Jack was talking about. Those are like the permutations of the two objects. So like A becomes B and B becomes A, but like within those fields of presence that they start within, there's the residual... Uh, of each other one left over, and that's what is seeding these celibate machines, and I think with regards to Mozart and his ass, I think that is where they are, yeah, it's like a strange connection or a strange loop between them, and it's that like auto, uh, what is it, The, um, the cycle of auto production, the becoming ass of Mozart and the becoming Mozart of his ass simultaneously constitute his subjectivity.
3: Right. Because when they say
1: each subject,
3: I see them pointing at the, ma- the mouth and the ass, right? Because I think the...
1: Well, as, I, I, as I just f- wrote, a bit, real quick, because I think it, just wrote, I think objects and subjects come, they're both birthed in the third part of the three syntheses. So like objects, full objects, full bodies, don't even exist until then either. So I don't even know if it's so much that it's the subject that is the shit, but even the idea of like, what the turd means as a thing, as a full object to a full body of Mozart, what it means to him as a subject that back and forth is the thing that happens in the third. And the question they're asking here is like all of these things uh, from these incredibly difficult partial objects and that are being seen through other objects, but only really being sort of seen as this, how are you, who's going to be the one to help disassemble and positively identify. And as they say, What analysis is going to be exacting enough for this? Who can describe the desiring machines of each subject with the example of Mozart there, because objects also don't exist until this point. Their, their meaning is produced in the same process.
3: Right. Because this is where you start to get that tension of, you know, there's, there's to the subject in terms of the person. And then there's defining the subject in terms of the unconscious, right? And that aspect of the mouth and, and the ass, mm-hmm. that's where I see the celibate machine producing that subjectivity. And then there's the question of how Mozart himself is constituted by that, which starts to move more into like, there's the molar side of that. And then there's the pre-conscious side of that, I, right?
1: Yeah. I, I think. I I actually don't think we necessarily need to get to that point yet because their question, I think what we need to do here and this paragraph is for, is for formulating that very question like specifically how are, how are we going to parse this letter from Mozart? Like you think we can do that right now? A traditional psychoanalytic theory would be, well, shit equals money. Mozart should have fucked his mom. Like whatever, like garbage, uh, whole bodies all the way down instead of, Uh, actually, this is where we start and then we need to figure out the pieces that produced this meaning and this subjectivity. And how are we going to do that? They're going to answer. Like, we're not, we're like five paragraphs into this. I do want to move to the next one because I think this is where we start getting into the meaning and the subjectivity generation. I don't want to get too deep because we're starting to answer questions that are coming up. And uh, if that makes sense, I I just feel like that's the setup. Uh, I don't want to get, because i we could also answer that we're talking about legitimate or illegitimate uses of the syntheses, uh, local part objects versus uh, global persons, and like that's things they're going to be covering in like four pages from now. So I'm kind of avoiding that intentionally too. So hopefully, like I'm the big thing here to me is being able to understand why they're asking this. Who can describe the desiring machines of each subject, knowing that one we have. These partial flows that sometimes cover each other up and they get a little fucked up and it's confusing through this weird included disjunction. Uh, inclusive, probably, intend- intentionally. The inclusive disjunction, or we have this other way where actually we have a sort of this weird layering of things that are sort of overlapping and they're right next to each other a little bit, but uh, eh, not so much. So how are you going to parse? How are you going to d- divine meaning and really discover what are the designing machines that actually produce all of this? I think that's the point of this, uh, sort of to reiterate. Does that make sense? Jack, JK, Doug, anyone who wants to say no, please?
3: actually, I think I'm with you on that one because we are, I agree, we don't want to go too deep into the Socius right here. But I, I think that's right because like, the point is that a turd wants to come out, right? That's what's ultimately kind of producing Mozart in this way. And that's yeah, the turds don't want to come church.
1: out. Turds don't There's... want anything. It's a piece of poop. Hey, man, turds have hopes and dreams too. <laughs> that's that's the point. Is like how how did like how are you going to be exacting enough to say that like this turd doesn't want to prove it? Like prove that <laughs> the turd prove it. It's not a literal human shit who like is like going yes, Mozart. Like, let's do this. Like, it's, show me where does this come from. It's a lot of poop, a lot of poop jokes, because as I always say, poop is funny.
3: Poop is funny, but no, that's exactly it, right? Is that that's not a conscious thing going on? What you have is the mouth and the anus being produced in this manner. True, right? Because I, I yes. think
1: well, that's that's the, think the that's key,
3: exactly it. Yeah, because I think the key, to go back to your point about what do we need in this paragraph, is that if we're talking about the unconscious as subject, right, it's the anus and the mouth being um, produced in this manner, right? That gives you the unconscious and its it's self-production. Yes. And its subjectivity.
1: All right, I'm going to jump to the next paragraph. That's a Ms. Marksy, Mrs. Marksy is spot on. They are the best philosophers because they have more poop jokes per page than anyone else. Um, I would assume that's actually except for Bataille. <laughs> I'm going to assume Bataille might beat him out on that, actually. Uh, or dick jokes, at least. Um, all right, uh, to continue the next paragraph. These syntheses necessarily imply the position of a body without organs. This is due to the fact that the body without organs is in no way the contrary of the organ's partial objects. It is itself produced in the first passive synthesis of connection, as that which is going to neutralize, or on the contrary, put into motion the two activities, the two heads of desire. For as we have seen, it can be produced as the amorphous fluid of antiproduction, just as it can be produced as the support that appropriates for itself the flow of production. It can as well repel the organed objects and attract them, and appropriate them for itself. But in repulsion, as in attraction, the body without organs is not in opposition to these organs objects. It merely ensures its own opposition, and their opposition, with regard to an organism. The body without organs and the organs partial objects are opposed conjointly to the organism. The body without organs is in fact produced as a whole, but a whole alongside the parts, a whole that does not unify or totalize them, but that is added to them like a new, really distinct part. Great paragraph. Oh, thank God it's short too. Um, Few bits in here, we will be getting more to how the BWO operates. So I'm gonna try to avoid that as a thing. The syntheses necessarily imply the position of a body without organs. This is due to the fact the body without organs is in no way the contrary of organs partial objects. It is itself produced in the first passive synthesis of connection is that which is going to neutralize the two activities and the two heads of desire. Um, The two heads of desire being sort of the nature of the two ends of the flows. The BWO being produced is again produced in uh, opposition, but not contrary to. Um, it's the thing I I see a lot of people sort of get wrong uh, that like the BWO is like the enemy of desire uh, I think that it's like purely contrary it's in opposition so I I get that but um, there's a really interesting sort of thing that the BWO does it is what ultimately frees us as Deleuze says in uh, countless other bits uh, but also through here it's what frees us of the Um, sort of hyper habitual animal repetition Uh, the way that uh, a dog I've had a dog that ate itself uh, sick because it can't stop Um, the rescue animals are tough Um, these these things that sort of break and Get broken this anti-production gets produced the slipping between the slippery surface of the BWO that disconnects desiring machines. This is a good thing actually because uh, it forces us to have newer connections and different connections. It can also uh, do other elements and appropriate flows for itself, which I don't know if I necessarily would say is good or bad, but it does a lot of stuff, I guess would be the way to put it, and and acts within this, but it acts not necessarily as a contrary, but instead an opposition. Um, is that a fair, before we get into the organism, which is something I actually want to spend a few minutes on, um, is that close to how other people read this? Any questions there? Yeah, I think that the part about anti-production being kind of like a necessary process for production is like super spot on. Good. All right. Also, uh, good to hear from you, Ms. Marksy. Is it Mrs. Marxy? I apologize. Um, uh, the, the the phrase I really like that I've always loved with this is uh, from Holland's take on this. Um, as he says, and he says it really crisply because he has like three paragraphs trying to describe the BWO and then finally gets sick of it. He says, for now, it is what is important is that the body without organs represents for schizoanalysis not just the locus of repression, but the potential for freedom. It can be compared to a kind of tabula rasa, freeing the organism from a purely mechanical repetition of instinctual determination, as well as the fixations of neurosis, provided we understand that such a tabularasa does not exist from the start, but rather gets produced in the course of psychic development by the transformation of energies of connection into energies of recording. Uh, it's a fucking good line. Holland nails it. But uh, that is. Uh, I think what they're talking about here and they're really getting a little deeper into it before we get to organism, because that's a, that's a different discussion that I totally want to have, but um, I really like that. Any other thoughts on that before we talk about the human organism?
3: Yeah. The only thing I'd add to that is the oppositions are really interesting piece, right? Cause they write, but in repulsion as an attraction, the body without organs is not in opposition to these organ subjects. It merely ensures its own opposition and their opposition without, with regard to an organism. The body without organs and the organs partial object, are opposed conjointly to the organism. So it's kind of interesting there that you, you see that the So on one hand, I see them trying to, like, they're trying to say that this isn't a point about, like, two contraries producing something, right? At the same time, I see them trying to say, what the since the body without organs is not the the opposition to the, the partial objects and that, right, what ends up happening is that ensures its own opposition and their opposition with regard to an organism. So basically it sounds like it keeps the tension with more or less the molar.
1: Well, it's, if, it's if the I mean, organism. It's, molar, it's the line with regard to the organism. I'm, I'm not sure it's molar yet. And this is the thing I'd love to spend a minute on because I don't have a full answer here. And it's one of the things that's fascinated me as I pre-read this, um, that the phrasing organism. And cause we've also often talked about uh, the people, the person, when we refer to it, they say her, him, uh, they they use pronouns, they use descriptors. Ultimately, we are talking about an organism, and that's the closest we get to saying there is any semblance of kind of a centered subjectivity. It's within that organism. There is kind of a consistent level of becoming. And the way it's described here, it almost sounds like the body without organs is what gives that organism the... Uh, Uh, How to put it, Um, I'm trying not to use a lot. I'm so diving back and forth between this and logic of sense because when you've got two series, you could say, uh, and a vibration between them that's ultimately producing a subjectivity, it's really hard for me not to go back to logic of sense. But um, the phrasing here seems to be that we have this sort of continual desiring to connect on one side that's going, But thankfully, we also have this recording of it and the recording of that as that energy gets shifted from its uh, element to recording energy. And that recording energy by producing the BWO actually is creating that uh, internal, not contradiction, but motor that keeps the organism sort of going and is where a lot of the issues can be. It's um, early on the phrase, uh, desiring machines make us an organism. But, at the very heart of production, within the very production of this production, the body suffers from being organized in this way from not having some other organization or no organization at all. Machines stop dead and set free the unorganized mass they once served to articulate the The phrasing very early on that they're going over is that, like desiring machines on their own, we can't just be a body of desiring machines; we are an organism we have sort of learned needs, uh, you could say. The BWO has that sort of essence of keeping us from over-habitualizing things that uh, could ultimately hurt us, forcing us into new directions, but also can go the other direction and sort of become hyper-repressive towards our desire. And it's a really interesting sort of play as they go. The tension between production and product actually is not a bad way to put it. because production has to happen and product ex- gets produced. That's not a bad way to put it. I like that, Jack. I really like the phrasing yeah. around it, but but organism, I just really like the phrasing and the point here when he says that they say this, whatever, both of them. Yeah.
3: To, listening to you, I think you're right. It might, it might not be so much about the molar. That might be a concern for a different paragraph. It might just simply be that the organism starts getting toward the product, because organs are the enemy of the BWO, right? Um, it, it, at least to paraphrase an earlier section. So I think that might be it, is it keeps the product and production in tension, as opposed to making the production into the product, right? I think that might be kind of where I'm landing on it.
1: Yeah, I and mean, Mrs. Marxie nails it. It's it's a non-dialectical tension between the two as well. That's a it's an important thing. I don't want it to. I don't want it to seem like we're talking about a binary. We're talking about Deleuze. That's not his world. But there, the generalized sort of process of sort of recording and then the production of all these elements. And I can't help but, again, because Body Without Organs, originally, the first time I, I think that he openly talks about it is a Logic of Sense. He has an entire... Section called the Body Without Organs, where he talks through it and the essence of counteractualization, which does feel in general like a semblance of anti-production, sort of turned positive. Um, it's it's it. The Body Without Organs is to him early on a locus of freedom. It is what separates us and gives us the. Um, and I'm going to butcher this, and this may upset people. I, I don't. It is what gives us the human possibility of of greater things, or creating the new, versus a uh, more uh, sort of hyper-repetitive, non-subjective existence. That's a very anthrocentric view, but I, I don't think it's far off drastically. Please let anyone uh, jump in. I don't think it's far off drastically, though. Yeah,
2: the last uh, sentence of that paragraph also says that the body of in fact, produced as a whole alongside the parts. The whole alongside the parts.
1: Yes, so a whole like- that does not unify or totalize them, but is added to them like a new, really distinct part.
4: So that's what I think is sort of the touching point between the body without organs and the molar, at least, is that the whole as a thing alongside the parts is like a sort of interface maybe tor- towards terms of the molar scales. That is like I don't know, that's where I'm going with that. But I also just think it's really important, yeah, to be paying attention to this tension between the product and production um and, and the body without organs. And I'm hoping that we'll see um them paying attention to that also as we read forward. Uh and I want to see if they flesh out here in these um, like extremely positive and but passive uh, terms—they've put the syntheses in here. Uh, uh, how how the um, machinic surplus value and the uh, yeah the um, sort of production of subjectivity actually works out.
1: Well, and again, the when we talk about when we talk about the whole in its parts, uh, it's hard for me not to sort of also draw a line between molecular and molar. Where in the molar There are no parts. Like the whole thing about the molar is that it is kind of whole bodies or whole things or, you know, objects that are interacting in a social field because they have names and they're interacting in that space. Whereas the molecular is where the parts are. Again, they're not separate. This is not how things are separated. It's it's that the whole is a thing alongside the parts. Uh, Again, there's I reference you to our reading or the chapter called A Hole in Its Parts, where they go very deeply into this, uh, that the whole is almost a part alongside the other parts, but also is somehow something more.
2: Also this discussion about the body without organs, is it uh, It makes me think about the phantasm. Is there any relationship between the body without organs and phantasm?
1: So the Body without organs as a thing in logic of sense is, is different than the phantasm in, uh, let me, let me get to the very particular uh, element here. One moment. Sorry. I had this up and then I closed it because I thought we were moving on. Um, Do, 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 Bonnie, Where are my notes? Apologies. This'll be a moment. Um, the, the essence of The Body Without Organs, when he's talking about it here, is more about uh, the nature of, it's from the section, The Schizophrenic and the Little Girl, when it first comes up and Arto is quoted. And the specific phrasing around this, again, is, uh, it, "It's this is much earlier than AO. There's a little bit of odd sort of forming within it. But the idea is that... Um, Uh, The schizophrenic uh, triumph is in destroying the words, changing uh, painful passions into actions, uh, obedience into command as the schizophrenic sees it. This is done via uh, the breath words, howl words, uh, the pure sounds that don't have meaning in them. This is the essence that produces the body without organs at this point to him. The phrasing is the body without organs is via fluids and insufflations, a state of Perfect mixture. Such fluids are necessarily corrupted by the other pole of passions and its excremental revenue, a residue. The schizophrenic lives on the stoic distinction between the partial mixture and the other. This second sort of essence of this body without organs is is different enough here. It's it's tough because we're talking about the body without organs essentially being the corporeal action. outside of passions. It sits in it's so in short, it's, it's in a different place, I think, in the general production of sense and the making of sense than um the uh phantasm would be. I I'd be open to the discussion though because it's one of those things that we've not spent a ton of time on is his development of these terms. And at some point once because we're actually going to finish I think both books at about the same time. We should have a crossover like trying to find links between them because it's fascinating, uh, the stuff and how it changed. But um, So I'd be open to thoughts, but that's kind of my understanding on the difference between the two, JK. body without organs is a tough one in logic a sense, to say the least. It's it's basically intended to oppose the fragmented bodies that schizophrenics exist with and the schizophrenics trying to turn themselves into a full body, a body without organs at that point. Um, That is a perfect mixture of elements but without uh the ideal or the because all this takes place within the depths in logic of sense um it's not necessarily like it's pulled to the surface but it's not ideas ah, fuck it's a tough one it's a really tough one
3: maybe to take it back to anti because i because i agree with you they are i think they are different um and part of it is, like, the states of the the two books are a little different. Like you said, sense versus desire. Um, but I think kind of bringing it back to this paragraph, right, you know, it's it, it starts to get this point about what the body without organs does to production. And, you know, the, the development of, it's like the two heads of the flow. What, what kind of struck me when we were reading this was, like, it kind of clicked in this paragraph for me where you've got, the mouth and the anus in relation to emission and breaking, right? And mm-hmm. the way that these flows will be mobilized in terms of attraction and repulsion to, uh, for the body without organs, right? This is where I think the body without organs can have the potential it does in AO, because effectively, right, it gives the opportunity for a full change in production that can affect the molar as much as the molecular. Right, and I think that's the, for me at least, that's the main thing that they're really driving at in this section, um, and in this chapter is how that, that potential, gets at um a form of revolutionary, uh, well they're going to call it investment, but you know arguably a practice as much as a theory, right? Because they they don't really see them as diametrically opposed, but yeah, that's kind of how I'm thinking about it.
1: Um, I think we'll continue. Uh, Speaking of the BWO. When it repels the organs, as in the mounting of the paranoiac machine, the body without organs marks the external limit of the pure multiplicity formed by these organs themselves, insofar as they constitute a non-organic and non-organized multiplicity. And when it attracts them and fits itself over them in the process of a miraculating fetishistic machine, it still does not totalize them, unify them in the manner of an organism. The organs' partial objects cling to the body without organs and enter into the new synthesis of included disjunction and nomadic conjunction of overlapping and permutation on this body. Syntheses that continue to repudiate the organism and its organization. Desire indeed passes through the body and through the organs, but not through the organism. That is why the partial objects are not the expression of a fragmented shattered organism, which would presuppose a destroyed totality, or the freed parts of the whole, nor is the body without organs the expression of a de-differentiated organism stuck back together that would surmount its own parts. The organs partial objects and the body without organs are at bottom one in the same thing, one in the same multiplicity, and they must be conceived as such by schizoanalysis. Here's the hard line, here you go. Partial objects are the direct powers of the body without organs, and the body without organs the raw material of the partial objects. The body without organs is in uh, the body without organs is the matter that always fills space to given degrees of intensity. The partial objects are these degrees, these intensive parts that produce the real in space starting from matter as intensity equals zero. The body without organs is the imminent subject, in the most Spinozist sense of the word, and the partial objects are like its ultimate attributes, which belong to it precisely insofar as they are really distinct. And cannot on this account exclude or oppose one another. The partial objects in the body without organs are the two material elements of the schizophrenic desiring machines, the one as the immobile motor, the others as the working parts, the one as the giant molecule, the others as the micromolecules, the two together in a relationship of continuity from one end to the other of the molecular chain of desire. Footnote! In his study on object magique, I will not, I'm gonna fuck that whole sentence up, not trying it, not trying the next words. They're French words, you can look it up. Uh, Pierre Bonafé clearly demonstrates in this respect the inadequacy of a notion like that of a fragmented body. Quote, there is indeed a fragmenting of the body, but not at all with a feeling of loss or degradation. Quite to the contrary, as much for the holder as for the others, The body is fragmented by multiplication. The others no longer have to do with a simple person, but with a man to the XYZ power, whose life has been immeasurably increased, dispersed while being united with other natural forces. Since its existence existence no longer rests at the center of its person, but has hidden itself in several far-off and impregnable locations." Bonifay recognizes, in the magic, magic object, the existence of the three desiring syntheses, the connective synthesis which combines the fragments of the person with those of animals or plants, the included disjunctive synthesis which records the man-animal composite, the conjunctive synthesis, which implies a veritable migration of the remainder or residue. Oh, that's a lot. Um, not an awful paragraph, though, as far as uh, difficulty sort of across all of it. I think there's a lot uh, there to sort of parse, but it's not its not actually that difficult, I think, here. Uh, who wants, does anyone want to kick off, or should I just dive in? Awkwardly leave it for a moment, so that way everyone feels at least some social pressure to try. All right. We'll give it a shot. Um... Desiring machines, it, let's talk about some kind of the inside of us. Uh, inside of the unconscious, there's this mass of desiring machines. And uh, it kind of falls back on them, appropriating them as it does, uh, say, you might say. Um, and the partial objects are happy to cling to the BWO. They are these points on which uh, intensities uh, begin to be formed between things. Uh, We have two partial objects, meaning derived, intensity derived, connection derived. These, These elements of this sort of overall shattered existence that is pieced together, we can look at, as people have in the past often, of the schizo who's broken into a million pieces and if only we could form him back into his whole self, oh my! Their argument here is quite the opposite, that there is no whole self that the whole self is a product of this weird mass and this, this collective mass multiplicity that is happening underneath the surface. And as such, we can't really break the whole. Instead, we need to spend time going through and really caring about all of these partial objects, how they go together, what the intensities are, where they find representation, and where they sort of uh, ultimately what they produce. Again, not starting from the subject, but instead, the production of a shattered subject is essentially what they would say almost normal, I think. Feel free to shit on me with that interpretation. That's the point.
3: Well, I mean, I'll leave the shitting to Mozart, right? But uh, <laughs> I I think that's one of the big challenges and implications of the book is that like You know, you go back to some of the classic philosophy and, like, know yourself, right? And that starts to consider that the self becomes a kind of condition for things, right? And I would suggest at some level you kind of see that in at least some adoptions of of psychoanalysis and analytic psychology, right? And Some adoptions of Freud and and, uh, Jung and so on. You see an interest in the self, right? and i think the self can here be kind of used in tandem with maybe even the organism because um to your point what i see them trying to say is that like it's not like production starts with a self or a total a totality and then deduces from that what will happen right that's kind of the cutting edge of this is that a self doesn't condition what's going to take place it's not, in a manner of speaking, it's not even the residuum, right? Because the the conjunct is, at least in my opinion, is still not the self.
1: Yes, there is no exact. There's no whole, like like again to go back to the idea of the whole and its parts. There is a whole, but not as a standalone thing. Like it's not like, oh, that's the whole person, excellent, and underneath are all the pieces. It's the whole is another piece alongside the other pieces, actually, and and produced by them, and in in with that, they're produced and played with by it as well. The BWO absolutely plays with desiring machines in the same way. It's not like you know one feeds the other, and it's a hierarchical relationship. They're very much uh, back and forth.
3: Right. The whole is not the condition of production, right? And that's the difference between the whole is a totality versus like the kind of gestalt thing. Because where they write, that is why the partial objects are not the expression of a fragmented shattered organism, which would predis- presuppose a destroyed totality or the freed parts of the whole, nor is the body without organs the expression of a de-differentiated uh, organism stuck back together that would surmount its own parts, right? So it's not a problem of a... of. It's not the modernist problem, like you said, of putting together a totality, right? Kind of these fragments mm-hmm. I have short and putting them back together any more than it's a problem of there being that shattering in the first place. you don't you don't start with the totality. That's not what conditions production
1: and the the part and the part in italics, just to reread partial objects are the direct powers of the body without organs. The body without organs, the raw material of the partial objects. It's a great phrasing of the relationship between them.
3: Yeah, and since we, we kind of started by negation there just to start walking this out a little bit more then right So then what you end up getting instead of starting with a fragment fractured totality and all that uh, all that jazz. Instead, you get the body without organs creating an external limit through the paranoiac repulsion and the miraculative process that um, when it attracts them, right, the multiplicity of desire machines and fits itself over them in the process of a miraculating fetishistic machine, it still does not totalize them, unify them in the manner of an organism. The organs, partial objects, cling to the body without organs. And then turn to the new syntheses of the included disjunction, nomadic conjunction. Inj- I'll stop there in case other people want to jump in, but just so we're not just doing the negation, right? There's kind of the, the positive start.
2: When he, uh, you know, was, um, re- uh, going back to Spinoza to to uh, describe what the um, what the body without organs is, is as a substance, right? The eminent substance. That is. that sounds like a totality right
1: say that one more time for me
2: that uh, that the uh, spinoza's uh, notion of uh, the uh, the eminent substance right and he uh, refers to that as the body without organs and the partial objects are just like the attributes of the of the substance so it kind of implies that there is a kind of a totality there um that the what the body without organs is a totality that is well because it's an infinite totality you know perhaps it means it's a you know detor, detotalized totality uh, or it's something like that it's a kind of um yeah I'm,
1: I'm not as familiar with Spinoza as uh, as others uh, to me that the way I've read that is that it is eminent uh, substance in Spinoza's sense which means that it is imminent ultimately like to itself that there's this uh, this again the plane of eminence as he's talked about it and and he's written about it and he kind of talked about or referenced lightly inside of his first and second uh, book on Spinoza that it is this this plane of, of eminence rather than necessarily a totality um, uh, I think the the way I would phrase it is that, um, or how how have I? Well, give me two seconds and I'll pull it up. It's a, uh, immanence is not imminent to substance, but eminence is itself substance, imminent to itself. Um, right. So it's a it's a different trip than saying like closer to God. But it's been through Deleuze's eyes, sort of the way he speaks of God, is that God is that eminence and that eminence is imminent to itself ultimately sort of a um god damn this is hard spinoza is a tough one with this it's a great question though that's how i understood it please anyone else um i like that take though it's interesting i think you
4: can definitely say that substance for spinoza is the form of totality because i think uh correct me if I'm wrong, but the definition of it is something that can be said of itself. So like being is. Um, and so I think in that sense, right, it's total in the sense that doesn't require any uh, external thing in order to speak it.
1: Yeah, but that, I don't know if that implies totality.
3: Yeah, I think we want to be careful how we're using the word there, right? Because to me this is like the lucretius essay from yesterday is it's it's the non-terminating sum right because it's like a gestalt. and obviously qualifying gestalt is a value that organs is it's kind of a can of worms but we're in that can of worms i suppose but that to me is kind of the move is to say that the gestalt right is part of the parts of the whole in a sense and that's kind of the move i see them trying to trying to trying to hold there is that there's not an organism totality in the sense of this like this completeness. Um, because the completeness I think starts to get at something that's not it starts to get the easy way to say it is it starts to get the problem of the product versus the, the production. Right? This is to me the difference between the self and the BWO where it would be the difference in saying Mozart's self Is expressed through the the previous um, uh, quote we read, as opposed to saying the mouth and anus are basically in this process of production that Mozart finds himself um, being produced by as kind of this product, right? To me, that's kind of the move they're trying to make is that you don't have, um, to, to use Mozart again, you don't have the completeness of Mozart Precipitating um, his being or his becoming, you have a process of production that actually um, makes Mozart kind of this, just this kind of glittering surface on top of that. Like I said last week, kind of drawing that Foucault quote: you know, man is this kind of glittering surface above, um, you know, above this process of production in D and G's terms.
4: Yeah, I think contrasting totality with um, complete completion is important. Like it's definitely supposed to be sort of incomplete. It's not static being. It's like becoming or being in becoming. Or I don't know if there's probably uh, more technical differences there that I'm not capable of uh, enunciating. <clears throat> but with regards to why it is a totality in the sense of there not being anything outside of it. Uh, uh to the extent we can lean on Spinoza here, uh, that's because uh, of substance monism. There is only one substance. Even if you try to divide it, for example, into uh, God and nature, as Spinoza does, uh, if you are consistent, you will end up showing that it is the same. And I think that's what they've done here with the body without organs, the partial objects, actually.
2: Right. It is a totality like you say it's a it's a monism and uh, and um it was um it was argued in um uh, in Plato's uh, sophists, right uh, uh arguing against um you know the notion of um uh, Parmenides Parmenides uh, monism in which um well i think even plato con- uh, continues to uh, you know uh, posit that the um that there is being and becoming is is within the circle of being, and but so that's uh, the, so the, the in in this case comparing the body without organs to Spinoza's immanent substance is a kind of a a kind of a um, totality a monism, right? We, uh, within the parts of the within the uh, monism there are these parts, but it's all one of the same thing. There's nothing outside of that. So the body without organs—is that a—is he saying that it is a totality, a kind of monism, a, a, a being uh, that is, um, you know, uh, w- without, um, you know, with multiplicities, but with but within the same being.
3: I I again I don't know that they're saying it's a totality. Simply because it's the one substance, the immanent substance, um, because of the way we're talking about totality, right? If if anything, they're trying to say it's a gestalt, right? Because the whole is never, you know, the whole is never just the sum of the parts, right? And because the body. And this is the other side, right, is the Gestalt is becoming one of the parts here, too, which is part of the, I think it is important for, like, the revolutionary aspect on that, too, because part of the trouble with the totality, then, is the tearing down of it, right? And this is where I think they're kind of differentiating what they're talking about from the more typical Marxian concerns, but also the modernist concerns. You know, they're not talking about um, rebuilding a totality. They're talking about the potential of how this production in its, um, in its one substance, like you're saying, in its imminence, in this kind of mixing through multiplicity um, to kind of shorthand it, that, that potential then, as you change things, you're changing their relations to each other. And you're changing the gestalt of it all, which is the BWO, to, to really shorthand it. <laughs> um, but in doing that right, that seems to be the revolutionary potential, as that process of production being contingent on that imminent substance remains changeable, um, especially because the paranoiac and the schizophrenic are created in that manner, right? The external limit that is the repulsion as much as the miraculating fetishism they say there. right, Affecting how this process of production takes place, and thereby affecting the three syntheses, is affecting how it simultaneously continues.
4: Yeah, to me this touches now on the question of the sort of uh, quasi-resolution of the process, uh, which I do not understand yet so
1: you mean the third synthesis or the resultant
4: I mean the uh, understanding of the process that uh, is neither an end to itself nor um, stopped prematurely nor continuing uh, infinitely you know uh, on its own they don't really give a positive description of it there uh so yeah, that is always something that puzzles me, which seems to be touching on this question here of how, yeah, things either totalize or don't.
2: Yeah, there is kind of a inconsistency there, right? Because he's talking about the flow of partial objects, right?
1: But and flows the, between partial objects.
2: A flow between partial objects, and then, the, but it is a continuous flow, right? Um, no,
1: it's, it, it gets broken often.
2: Yeah, but is it within? Is it within the um, body without organs? Is no. It kind of... it,
3: it, so it's the imminent substance, right? Okay. That's, I think, the key there. Go ahead.
2: So, is it uh, is it an infinite uh, flow? Uh, you know, that's uh, that has no in, uh, or is it a? Well, let's say,
1: let's say we have a a big old void, and this void uh, has like black substance in it and uh, we have inside of this uh, hand just shit tons of partial objects. Let me put 10 in there. We'll just say 10 and then everything else is this weird black mass like sand. Uh, those partial objects that are there begin connecting and ultimately disconnecting, but the first step is connecting and as they connect, something happens. This This excess of desire, this flow sort of begins and begins to move and then another partial object modifies, breaks, shifts that another way. And between these, this flow, uh, just think of it like a beam of light moves. As it does, it pushes this black sand shit void out of the way. Now, as that happens, uh, the black sand sort of, you know, covers it back up a bit. We don't get to see it a ton, but imagine that those things connect millions of times suddenly the sand doesn't really fall back there uh, quite as often. Uh, Other parts are connecting and disconnecting. Now, now enlarge this to millions of partial objects. And then here we are looking at this, and there would be this weird network of some deeper veins, some thinner, some larger, of all these things that semi-connect and don't, flows going between and breaking. And that mass, that whole thing that we look at, we may be able to see emergently that it has a look. Oh, it... Uh, Like a cloud, the way a cloud sort of sometimes looks like an airplane or a bear when I'm out with my son. Like, you see a thing in that. And that thing that you sort of start to see and recognize, that pattern recognition that happens, this is ultimately what the BWO is. It is the, the literal process of recording. It is the thing that is sort of emergent between all of these elements. It is not... Uh, the elements themselves, but it is sort of inscribed upon and written upon many, many, many times. It doesn't have substance in the same way that the flow does, but it has substance nonetheless. And the substance is that thing that you're now seeing in the same way that if I look at a cloud, it is it is a bear. If I look at it and I see a bear, oh, that's a bear. It's not literally a bear, but I can see that and I can say that there's a bearness to that cloud there's a this. The, there's a thisness and thisness that comes with that is the BWO and this sort of secondary bit that starts to have a sort of uh, pushing us or we can if we you know work that way and we work towards it, we can have it break and shift and move desire in different places but we have to understand first where is the BWO where are the desire machines where are the lines between them this sort of back and forth is the challenge that we're talking about, but that BWO is very much its own thing. And that emergent property is within it. It is the whole, but it is the whole as a part of all of the parts. That's the best I've got to explain it. I hope
2: that yeah, works. That would be based on um, the foundation of a substance, right? A substance, and you mentioned a void, maybe uh, the, the the ultimate substance must include the void. Yeah? Well,
1: it, it doesn't, It it's, uh, the you know, you, depending on how you want to sort of have the conversation, because it's it's emergent from everything. If the bodies all exist and the bodies start colliding, the desire is then produced out of that. And the recognition of that BWO isn't something that happens until it's recognized. Like these things, these recordings start happening. They start happening over and over, but it still needs to be recognized ultimately. I I think I mean I'd I'd be I'd love to have the discussion about it, but like the, without the third part of that, without the, the final synthesis that sort of, you know, slams all of this together and ultimately falls back on and, and is the subjectivity that claims the body without organs, we don't have a, there's nothing that matters as much there. There's no full body that we're able to recognize it, not yet at least, it's still maybe in in process, but difference hasn't given it enough newness or separation, you might say? I don't know, it's an interesting conversation actually to think about. That's my quick response. I don't know if it's good.
2: Well, like you said, uh, uh, you you can't uh, think of these partial objects in the um, body without organs without also thinking of of the totality, but then you also qualify and say it's it's, uh, not totality that does not you know, unify or totalize.
1: Yes, it's the whole alongside the parts. So the example they give is uh, In Search of, um, of, uh, oh God, In Search of Lost Dreams, uh, Proust, um, where his massive series of books is, on itself, you can read any one of them. Once you've read all of them, there's a sort of other meaning and a whole that is absolutely real, that exists not as a total, totalizing thing of the books because of how they're written, which is kind of weird, but instead a meaning that sort of sits alongside any given thing that's happened within it. There's no supremacy of one versus the other. Then this is the whole in its parts as they go through it. Uh, My understanding, at least.
3: I I don't know if this helps, but
1: as to
3: take a a stab of it, it's kind of the Forest for the trees metaphor? No, actually, Especially, not bad. Not bad. Hey, oh well, like, it, it's kind of what they're getting at, right? Is that it's not that the tree, <laughs> I hate to rely on a cliche for these things, but it's not that the forest is what makes the trees what they are and so on and so forth, whatever that else is in that forest, right? Because you can see them, it's kind of funny they use engines, so it sounds like they're thinking of like an automobile or a really a factory since we're talking about the unconscious but sticking with an automobile right there's a way of appealing to examining a car for instance that you know the idea of what a car is you can kind of deduce what what those parts are there to do how they relate to each other and that aspect of the intensities that you'd expect to find there and you kind of draw that all out from the deduction of what a car is, right? This is kind of a more Aristotelian method. I see them saying it's not so much about starting with the, the model of the car and then doing that deductive work, not that that's invaluable, but just that that's not what happens in the unconscious, because if you take the automobile not as that universal, but as the body without organs here, what happens then is You have all these different things coming together at the molecular level, defining each other's, co-defining each other's presence, right, Um, functioning in ways where the flows that unite them have this this interesting thing where you don't have, right, you don't have the tire and the rim. You have the rim tire, for instance, and this, this way that this all fits together to form basically the via the assemblage and the distributions and that in that right the flows left the the residuum flows the intensity is left over come to consummate what's there right and that's kind of where i see them leaning is that the body without organs can't be something totalizable there because it would basically risk um eschewing production But if we see it as a substance related to these things, right, the engine um, in relation to these attributes, we can see that instead of starting with a ready made universal, we're actually seeing how something is there as the substance that is um, coordinating production, right, the way this kind of engine does, but also finding these attributes and being co-implicated in what they're going to do—that's
1: that's, okay, that's I, the phrasing I'm going to go with because I think it's it's a question of and Deleuze had talked about this in a previous lecture where he talks about this as a causality. Sorry, I'll, I'll let you finish, Jack. I just wanted to like I want to make sure I bring that up because that's the point I think is we're not talking about in his phrasing. It's not about a principle of totality but a principle of causality and the way one causes the other. So please, Jack, go ahead. I just. Uh, I'll just go then. Uh, to just quote uh, from, uh, again, his lecture on Leibniz, uh, I wouldn't necessarily recommend the translation of the book. There's uh, uh, deluze.cla.purdue.edu uh, As Deleuze seminars all translated, they're, ex- they're exceptional to read. Very good translations, very interesting. But to read. The same line of reasoning, and here I insist, on the level of the whole and the parts. He, Leibniz, pursues it on the level this time, not by invoking a principle of totality, but a principle of causality what we perceive is always an effect so there have to be causes these causes themselves have to be perceived otherwise the effect would not be perceived in this case the tiny drops are no longer parts that make up the wave nor the waves the parts that make up the sea but they intervene as causes that produce an effect you will tell me there is no great difference here but let me point out simply that in all of leibniz's texts there are always two distinct arguments he is perpetually trying to make coexist an argument on coexality and an argument based on parts not the same thing cause-effect relation, and a parts-whole relation. These are not entirely the same, and we are going to see problems, which he then begins to go through, blah, 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 blah. Um, When Leibniz really wants to say, and understand this isn't a way of being suspicious, when Leibniz wants to move rapidly, when he wants to make himself understood quickly, he has every interest in speaking like that, but when he really wants to explain things, here, yes, this would be the opposition between making himself understood and explicating. When he wants to make himself understood, he says that, when he really wants to exploitate, he says something else. Uh, just continue. In one case, you have the whole parts relationship, blah, blah. God damn it, where's the quote I was going to read? I will be editing this shit out because I can't find it now. God damn it. Um, uh, while you're looking
3: it. for it, that that's, I think, actually a really interesting way of putting it is in terms of causality. Because that God I think it. that is the this quote? I think that is the big difference from the the Aristotelian thing is to see that these things are emergently productive in their causality as opposed to appealing toward like basically syllogisms, right? That you can deduce the automobile in this manner based on this kind of, um, based on the totality of categories, really. I, I think that's kind of the tension that we're, we're grappling with here and why the imminent substance is so useful there. Cause it gives you a things as they're emerging and happening in production, as opposed to just appealing to like uh, the diagram.
1: This is gonna make me nuts. I literally added the tab up and I clicked over and it's not there. Jesus Christ. I'm editing this entire shit out. I sound like an idiot right now. Ignore me. Please someone else talk for a moment. I'm going to find it. It's not in my history. What the fuck? Well,
3: actually that was a really useful. I mean, what you read was very useful in itself. But yeah, I mean, J.K. Since you, you know, you've really helped kick off this conversation. What as we're talking about it, what do you think?
2: Yeah, I think I, well, I got your point, Rips, uh, about the uh, using thinking in terms of um, causality in, and in, instead of uh, part, parts and whole.
1: So uh, yeah, one one gives us the other. The body without organs is is. And again, it's not to go with Deleuze's virtual concept because it's one of the harder things I think to grasp is uh, to very shorthandedly say it. Um, if I say that cloud is a bear and it's it or I say that I am scared, there is a reality to it. i what I believe, despite being purely a belief, nonetheless produces, nonetheless has an effect in material sense. These things, naturally, because they're material, it's not so much that they're not real. He wants to eschew the idea of real or or any of that and instead go with virtual and actual, where as actual is the the measured sort of concretized element, but the virtual is a lot, and it doesn't necessarily have to be real to be virtual. And so when we're talking about causality, we're talking about the whole and its parts, we're very much playing in that space of uh, that we're not really one or the other, that one is producing the other, the I always use the example for the BWO of line art. If you've never seen someone do it, they have this huge circle with tons of nails and they just sit and they with a string and they just run the string art all the way through everything. And then at some point, you start to sort of see a face and then it clicks and you can't unsee celebrity face X or scene Y or whatever the fuck they're doing. Yet all they've done is literally have lines overlap lines. There is no... Photo there. It is a virtual image that is produced in the pattern recognition you have of the contrast created by the lines, which is ultimately what art is. But I really like how string art makes it emergent. This same thing is very much that. It's every line is necessary. There is the overall picture, but the image is what sort of we're seeing as a whole, not any thing. It's just the image. Again, I, I go back to that logic of sense reading yesterday. It feels tied in with this. I need to make a. I need to figure that out. It feels like it's tied in with this. Yeah. Damn. Hey, Dingo. Hello. Hello. It's a good time when we're just finishing up. Oh, yeah. It's,
0: uh,
3: I'm just getting up to get ready for work. So uh, <laughs> it's a bit awkward timing for for me with uh, actually joining in too much. But I'm sure many smart things were said before
0: I emerged uh, oh. from my
1: bed. We basically solved the lose, so it's great. Um, Glad to hear it. Well look forward um, to catching up on it later. I, I did pop uh into the chat uh the seminars link. Well it's a link to one of the seminars, but you can click around and get to all of them. It's genuinely extraordinary how many there are. And it's in one of these seminars that I had my point from earlier. <laughs> promise somewhere in there. Good Christ. Um but uh I don't want to get to the next paragraph because we only have like five minutes left, six minutes left. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, stop us here. Are there any last thoughts on what we discussed today? Any questions, any commentary, anything like that? I'd be very open to hearing anything, please. All right. Well, that was good. Uh, I've got
0: one.
3: This question for Dingo. Is Foster's really Australian for beer?
1: Oh, Christ. You're not allowed to talk anymore.
0: (laughs) That's it.
1: That's it. No more talking for Jack um we'll go ahead and close out thank you all very much uh, for joining us today uh, I absolutely adore it every week as I tell you it is my highlight and it's uh, one of the things that keeps me going so thank you for joining and uh, we will see you next week as we slowly make our way through the next paragraph which I bottom of three we're gonna it's gonna take some time so be ready for that and uh, I look forward to seeing you all next week thank you so much